You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. We are jumping into a brand new sermon series called Seven Parables, Guiding Your Steps. And uh, I was looking at our sermon schedule last year. We spent a lot of time in the Old Testament and um, and that's okay, because uh, Jesus did too, uh, so uh, we're, we're just following in his footsteps. But when he tells a story, it's, it's more than a story. Jesus is teaching authoritatively what it means to live out the kingdom, live out kingdom values. And what does it... What is God looking for when he's looking for people to partner with him? Like he, like he did with Abraham. What was he looking for in Abraham? Well, Jesus, through the parables, continues to tell us to, to focus in on what kind of kingdom God is establishing through his son and through his church. Now, if you're going to go hiking like this guy right here, you know, he's got, he's, got the, he's got the shoes. You could tell those shoes are ready for a hike. He's got the jacket. He's probably layered up. He's got the right tools for this particular hike. If you're going to go on a little, uh, maybe a little more challenging hike, you maybe have to bring a backpack, maybe bring some food, bring some water, some bugs, repellent, maybe some bear spray. You want to show up with the right tools. Well, as we journey through these parables, there's some tools that we're going to take a look at. We're going to talk about so that we can understand these parables maybe in some better ways. We're going to talk about context. Now, when we talk about context, we can't talk about 2020 without thinking about face masks and social distancing and those kinds of things. But 2,000 years from now, they may not think about all the things that you and I think about when it comes to 2020. Well, we're going to have to look at context. We're going to have to talk about some of the conversations that were going on during Jesus's time to understand why Jesus is having a conversation a certain way. And then there's language. How were the words used? What did the, what did the words mean? What, what was the emotional response to that word when that word was used? Or, or maybe uh, figures of speech like, I hope I don't kick the bucket today. I hope I don't kick the literal bucket or the figurative bucket. Let's put it that way, right? Um, we have these figures of speech that we use today that 2,000 years from now may not convey the same thing. And so we'll have to consider what these figures of speech, speech were that Jesus was using so that we could get the full picture of what he's trying to communicate. And then there's rabbinical teaching styles. There's a number of them that he's going to use as a rabbi. But uh, this week, we're going to focus in on pardes. Now, pardes um, is a hermeneutic tool. And it's, uh, it's actually an acronym. It's these four words, uh, Peshat, Ramez, Drosh, and Sod. And this is the way that a rabbi is going to layer his story, his parable, and, and, and hide things within the text 
in order to connect his story to something in the Old Testament, either an Old Testament story like we're going to see next week or this week's is actually connected to a psalm. Um, or I'm sorry, not a psalm, uh, actually Isaiah. Uh, a couple of different options in Isaiah. And so the big thing I want you to take away this morning is anytime Jesus tells a parable, he's going to connect his story to something in the Old Testament. And when we go and look at that Old Testament conversation, whatever's going on there, it adds color, it adds depth to what we're talking about. Now, Peshat means the surface, surface level. And so that's probably what we're used to. We're used to reading the parable and going, oh, that's what this means. That's, that's the foundation for the whole conversation that Jesus is trying to have. And anything that we look at in the Old Testament that connects to this parable has to land firmly on that foundation. So if we have a square foundation, we, don't, we won't end up with an oblong home. Okay, so when we go through these seven parables each Sunday, we're going to focus in on the Peshat level. And sometimes we'll bring in those other conversations in on Sunday. Other times we're going to bring those conversations in during footnotes. So our, our podcast that we do midweek, because there's some interesting things that could add to the conversation that's worth noting. But just know that when we read this, the story today, that what we receive out of it is actually more than enough for God to to bless us and communicate something significant to us. There's a larger definition in your bulletin for each of these four words, if you want to take a look at that. And we will talk about parties in greater detail in our podcast. So that's just a little bit of an introduction to how we're going to approach this conversation these next seven weeks. But I want to start off with a question of how generous are you? I want you to wrestle with that question. Am I a generous person? Sometimes, most of the time, all the time, how generous are you? And when I say that, you might be thinking in terms of you know, Rob opening up his wallet and throwing ones and tens and such out, right? But generosity is not limited to our cash on hand. Some people are very generous with their time, but not with their money. Some of us are generous with neither of those, but we're generous with uh, our comments towards people. We, we lift people up by the way we talk to them. We're generous in our thoughts about people. We generally think good things about people. How generous are you? And then the second question that goes along with that is, what gets in the way of you being generous? For me, when I get stressed, my generosity goes down. I get stressed about our, our family finances and I see a problem like, eek, <laughs> like turn the other way. <laughs> I didn't see this. You know, I'm scrolling through Facebook 
and I'm stressed and I see a problem on Facebook and I'm like, I don't have the emotional energy for that and I just keep pressing on. When I was in Bible school 20 plus years ago, uh, there was a story um, about a college professor at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. We were in Spokane, but this professor in Chicago had set up some of his students. They were supposed to teach on the Good Samaritan story in his class, and he had put a someone with a problem in the middle of the campus. So the, he knew where the dorm was, and he knew where the class was, and so he, kind of, he assumed that they'd travel this way. He must have known them pretty well, right? But he, he put this problem in a way, and so these students are rushing the class to give this presentation on the Good Samaritan, and this person says, will you help me? Uh, sorry, <laughs> we don't have time. They failed the presentation because that was the whole point of the presentation from the professor's standpoint. He wanted them to stop and, and help someone on the road. Um, and I get that. Like they're, 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 Sometimes I see someone and I question whether or not their need is really a need. Or sometimes I see someone with a problem and I question whether they would handle generosity very well. And so I, with, I withhold generosity based off of my perception of them. Or maybe it's reality. Maybe I've had history with that person. Maybe it's my own history, my own experiences. I've, for my brother and I, uh, it was just always a competition of who got to ride in the front seat. Can I get an amen from the parents in the room? Right? Well, for my brother and I, was, there was two of us. Right? Easy to track. He's been in that front seat three times. I've been in twice. It's my turn. Wait a minute. That's not fair. Right? We said that an awful lot as kids. That's not fair. My dad would respond, life isn't fair, it's a circus, and you are clowns. But with my four kids, I didn't want to have a that's not fair conversation, so I let no one sit in the front seat. That was my solution. It had nothing to do with my kids. It had everything to do with my experience I didn't want to repeat for them. And so I withheld the generosity of sitting in the front seat. My kids were so abused. Well, how generous are you and what gets in the way of your generosity? That's the conversation we're going to have this week in this parable. Let's take a look. Jesus said this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those, he said, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give to you. And so they went. And he went about in the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same thing. 
So, G so the landowner goes out at 6 a.m., 9 a.m., noon, and 3. Okay? Every three hours, he's going out and he's hiring new people. He's going, come on, guys, get on board. About the 11th hour at 5 o'clock in the evening, 5 o'clock in the evening, he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? And they said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. When evening came, an hour later, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. So the people that worked one hour, they got paid first. The people that worked 12 hours, they got paid dead last. And they watched everybody else get paid. When those hired about the 11th hour came, each one received a denarius. Each one received a full day's wage. When those hired came first, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. Now back to my brother and I. If my parents sent my brother and I out into the garden to weed the garden, which they used to do, I remember it like yesterday. I remember it like it was 2020. Um, if I got sent out into the garden and I worked 12 hours and my brother got sent out into the garden and he worked one hour and they paid my brother $20, what am I going to think I'm going to get? It's 200. I'd like, I'm like, I'm good at math. Like pay me 10 times. I did 10 times the work. I know what I deserve. Right? <laughs> Isn't this story a little confusing already? And when Rob received it, he grumbled. No, I'm sorry. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner saying, these last men have worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden <clears throat> and the scorching heat of the day. He answered and said to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for denarius? Well, yeah, that's true. All right. Take what is yours and go, but I wish to give this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own, or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Give me just a second here. Love these face masks. All right. So, interesting story. Why does Jesus say that the landowner directs the people that showed up last and worked the least to get paid first, and the people that showed up first and worked the longest, they get paid last, 
and their pay is equal. Well, let's talk about some context, because that might help. First of all, the vineyard, when presented by a rabbi, is Israel. It's Israel. And by implication, it's the kingdom that Jesus is establishing. The vineyard represents Israel. It represents the kind of kingdom that God wants here on earth. The landowner is God. God is doing something here. And Jesus wants us as his people to see it and learn from it. This is a retelling of the story. This story has already been told, and Jesus is saying, you missed something. You missed God's heart in your telling of this story. Back to Jesus saying, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. Jesus is doing that in this story. So the way the story has been told, had been told, is that Israel worked the hardest, they worked the longest, therefore they made the most. And the Gentiles, who came in last and did the least, they got a lower wage. Are the Gentiles in? Yeah, yeah. Do they have the same status as us? We know that money and status go hand in hand, right? Are they on the same footing with us? Or are they less than? Because they did less. That's how the story was told. And Jesus says that's not how God's kingdom works. And that's not how gracious, that's not how generous your God is. And then there's language. Because Jesus would have spoken Hebrew. And the landowner says, is your eye envious? Is it ha-ra? Is it evil? Because I am... And in English, we read generous, but in Hebrew, it would have been good. Are you, is your eye hara because I am tov? Are you, because I am good. To help us with, see this clearer, we're going to, no pun intended, uh, look at Matthew 6.22. <clears throat> the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, if it is tov, if it is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, if it is raw, hara, if it is evil, the same word for good and evil found in Genesis 3, same words, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. 
Were the people in Jesus's parable in Matthew 20, were they devoted to the landowner because he was tov, because he was good? Or did they despise him for his goodness? Jesus says we need to be careful about the way we view the world. Now there's this good eye and evil eye. These, this is, these are uh, Hebrew idioms. And so we got ayin hara and ayin tova. Again, the hara and tova, these are the words used in Genesis 3. We're actually introduced to the word tov in Genesis 1 when seven times God says creation is good. Actually, six times he says creation is good. And one time he says, you are very good. And not just you, but the people on your left and on your right, the people around you, the people that God created in his image are very good. And he tells them this story of creation at Mount Sinai after 400 years of slavery. You know, when you've been a slave for 400 years, you might have to be told that this world is good, that this world is enough, that God can supply all that you need through his creation. And I know you might bring up, well, there's hungry people, there's people without homes. There are more than enough resources if we would just share them. This world is not lacking. That's not the problem. The problem is we refuse to share. That's the problem. This ayin tova, evil eye, is where we see in the scriptures someone who's greedy or stingy or self-centered, someone who's blind to someone else's needs, someone who sees the cup half empty is Ayin Tova. Now, I found it interesting. In fact, initially, I found it confusing when I was reading some of the Midrash, which is like the ancient Hebrew commentary on, on the Old Testament. And there's this superstition that comes with their view of Ayin Tova, that like, almost like the devil made me do it kind of thing, that, that someone could bewitch you and cause you to have an evil eye. Like, 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 don't accidentally stand over here because that'd be bad. Throw some salt over your shoulder or something. I don't know. Uh, it, was, it was really kind of interesting to read. But Jesus says that it's not that someone bewitched you. It's that the darkness is actually inside of you and it's actually emanating out of you. Like your view of people and your circumstances resonates from inside of you. I love watching football. And I love watching coaches because, you know, the ones that I would play for are the ones that were like, yeah, we had some, we had some hard things that we faced and, we, and we're just going to have to get through them. Versus the other coaches who's going to call out the player and what a poor slob he is and, you know, 
this, that, and the other thing about his mother. And, you know, <laughs> like two different coaching styles. One who sees the good in the player that just made a mistake or the other team just played a little bit harder. Or maybe I didn't do my job as coach versus the coach that's calling out their people and throwing them under the bus. And I can't stomach that kind of leadership. Jesus says that the way you see the world emanates from your heart. Are you seeing good things or are you seeing evil? Is there a devil behind every bush? Now, when we talk about having a good eye, I'm not saying that, that a person with a good eye does not ignore the problems. They're not ignoring problems. A person with a good eye sees the problems, but also sees solutions. I think about some of the ministries that we support, like Watson's Children's Shelter. In the 1970s, if, if a parent was arrested and there wasn't anybody to take care of the kids, the parent would be in one cell and the kids would go into another cell and that's where they would sleep that night. And Miss Watson, when she heard about this, she had some connection with the police. She said, don't, don't put them in that cell. You send them to my place. She had a daycare and she converted that place, her daycare into a shelter. She saw the problem and saw a solution. I think of CareNet that, that sees people dealing with crisis pregnancy situations. And they're like, we're going we're gonna to be part of the solution we're going to journey with those people. We're going to provide them with, with resources that they couldn't have otherwise. We're going to do life with them. We're going to equip them. We're going to help them on this journey because, yeah, it's stressful to be in a crisis pregnancy situation that you didn't plan. So we're going to do life with them. I think of Childbridge that looks at the fact that drugs has broken down families and there's little kids out there that need to be fostered. And so Childbridge says, I see the problem and I see a solution. I see, I see churches that will get involved. I see people within those churches that will help out. And so having a good eye doesn't ignore the problems. It, it doesn't say there's not a problem out there. It's that a person with a good eye says, I see the problem and I see that my God is bigger than this. And I'm going to start down this path because I believe God will show up when I start helping out. That's what it means to have an ayin tova. Let's go back to our parable. God is a landowner. And the vineyard is Israel. The vineyard is the kingdom that Christ is establishing through his church. And God goes out and he invites people into that kingdom. And everyone that comes in has equal standing. Doesn't matter if you've been there forever or if you just showed up. In God's eyes, you have equal standing. And Jesus says, is your eye evil because I am good? Are you jealous over what I'm doing in this person's life that I'm inviting in. 
And the question becomes, if we see Jesus working in somebody's life, what are we going to allow to get in the way of that person being fully embraced into the kingdom? In what way are we going to continue to have an evil eye? I think about our, our vision statement that says that we are a movement of diverse people living out God's sacrificial love. Philip Yancey wrote a book, uh, What's So Amazing About Grace. And every time I read that book, it floors me because I, I don't understand grace. Like as much as I want to, and every time I reintroduce myself to grace, I come back to this book and I look at grace again. I'm like, that's good. That's crazy, but that's good. I love that. I need that. And I don't know how to live that, but I want to live that out. But he talked about the church that he grew up in, in Georgia. They would send people around the world to do missions work. But if a person, if a family of color came through their doors, they would kindly and politely direct them to the church down the street. Are we going to be a people of diversity? Are we going to allow anybody, regardless of their skin tone, their ethnicity, their experience, their lifestyle, anybody who wants to learn about Jesus and figure out what that means, are we going to let anybody through these doors and are we going to fully embrace them? That's a question that Jesus wants us to wrestle with. How are we going to allow the evil eye to get in the way of what God wants to do here in Missoula? And then when it comes to sacrificing and living out God's sacrificial love, like if we're hanging on to all of the resources we got because we're not sure if there's going to be enough for, for three weeks from now. Think about the toilet paper that everybody bought <laughs> six months ago. Man, that's got to be, some people has that, have that piled up in their household. <laughs> Pretty. But it's not just toilet paper. There's other things that we kind of hold on to just in case. In what ways are we going to go I can't be used by God for that because I got this, that, or the other thing going on in my world. I got my own agenda. Why can't God get on my plan? Friends, the implication is this. Christ invites you to embrace and celebrate the Father's incredible Generosity. Incredible generosity. Because I believe that everywhere that we see generosity, we see the thumbprint of God. Sometimes we won't get behind a certain movement because we're like, well, theologically, there's some problems there. All God has ever had to work with is people with theological problems. It's always ever had to work with. We're all trying to figure out this infinite God as finite people. And if you think you got your theology 100% correct, well, I think we all have something to learn. When, once we come into his presence, I'm, 
I'm convinced there's going to be something that I'm going to learn, maybe a ton, when I come into the presence of God. Things that I thought I had totally figured out. Things that I stood on that I thought were super important. Everywhere you see generosity, you see the thumbprint of God. Do they maybe have, do the people involved maybe have some things not figured out correctly? Probably. And maybe we could join them so they can. Maybe that they're just starting their journey and we need to be help them on that journey of knowing who God is. But I want to be, I want to be like Buddy the Elf. Remember Buddy the Elf? When the manager says, 10 a.m. tomorrow, Santa's coming. And Buddy Elf's like, yeah, Buddy, Santa's coming. And people are looking at him like he's ridiculous. I want to be that guy when it comes to celebrating what God is doing, when it comes to being generous towards people. I don't want to be a guy on reserve that's two cars behind someone else letting someone else in. Cause we, and we've been waiting there for 15 minutes. I'm like, oh, don't do that. I want to be like, yeah, good idea. Way to be generous. That we should be known as the most generous people in the world if we understand how generous God has been towards us. So whether you're the 11th hour worker or you're there through the heat of the day. Let's embrace, let's celebrate the Father's incredible generosity. So some next steps. Number one, wrestle with the question, have I fully embraced God's incredible generosity? This was a hard message for me to spit out this week. Sometimes I they just come out so easy. This one was hard because I think I have a hard time understanding incredible generosity. There's some people that will tell you Rob is generous. He's generous with his time. He's generous with his money. But I know the truth. That too many times I've had an evil eye and I'm like, I don't have time for you. I don't have time for that. I'm going to ignore you. I'm going to ignore that. I'm going to pretend that this conversation didn't happen. I'm going to pretend that I don't know because I think I wrestle with understanding God's incredible generosity. Have I fully embraced the Father's incredible generosity? And maybe you sense Jesus Christ calling you. you. You believe that Jesus is calling you to a relationship with himself. And you've just never said yes because, man, there's this problem or that problem or this other problem within, within the church or within this relationship or, or whatever. And those things will always probably be true. But so will God's incredible generosity. That will also be true. Other problems within the churches? Only the ones that have people in them. Just those ones. Do we love each other through it anyway? Yeah. That's what we're called to. That's why we like the 
like talking about being roughly right. We're not going to let our roughly right get in the way of us having a relationship. And so if that's you, if you're like, man, I need Jesus, I know that, but I'm struggling, we invite you to fully embrace the Father's incredible generosity. Secondly, wrestle with the question, what ways do I have an envious eye? In what ways do I have an envious eye? In what ways do I have an evil eye? Is it, is it a certain person within your family that has let the family down over and over and over again and you just can't see beyond their failures? Is it a certain sin that people embrace that you just can't like that that is the worst and you just can't get past that to see the potential in that person is it that you believe that they don't really deserve it or they wouldn't know what to do with that generosity anyway they couldn't handle that much generosity so why even start what gets in the way or in what way do I still have an envious eye? And then number three, find one way to celebrate the Father's incredible generosity this week. I'm looking for those opportunities. I'm looking for those opportunities to celebrate what God is doing. You guys know that we are looking for a space, a larger space. And I've actually been praying that God would be incredibly generous towards Mission Ridge in this. But if God chooses to be generous to some other church first or forever, I'm going to celebrate whatever God is doing there. I'm going to jump up and down and be excited for them. Because I'm getting to see our God at work in the world around us. Christ invites you to embrace and celebrate the Father's incredible generosity. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.